Yeah, I'm used to everybody thinking I'm like 26. You have a so youthful energy about you. That's because I'm in, fuck you. I love the difference in those answers. Love the difference in those answers. Justin very kindly explains that it's because I'm radiant and young and youthful. Corey's like, it's because you're dumb. I didn't say dumb, I said immature. Mm-hmm. You can be intelligent and immature. I prove it every day. No Clear Answers, where we explore the common challenges all humans, creators, and leaders face and break down preconceived notions of common self-help ideas. We are your hosts. I am Ricky Goldenberg. I am Justin Mulvaney. And I'm Corey Wilkes. Yay. Okie doke. <clears throat> Today, we're talking about limiting beliefs. So, to start off. How do you all define limiting beliefs for yourselves and in the work that you do? Corey's dropping us right in. There's no, yeah, there's, no like, there's no foreplay when Corey no, runs an episode. No little dancing around. No, yeah. no time and also for pussy footing. Oh, and I immediately felt like I was like in school because I was like, have I done the reading? Is there something that I'm supposed to be prepared to answer? Because what what the f- our limiting beliefs. Justin, would you like to go first? Because I feel like no matter what you and I do, we're going to answer this question and then Corey is going to answer this question better. So would, who, which of us <laughs> would you like? Yeah, I'm happy to start. Corey is our local limiting belief master. Uh, for me, limiting belief, two components of it. We can distinguish belief as opposed to fact. So fact is something which is unarguable. For example, the, the I just said, A fact is something is unarguable, is unarguable, right? We all would look back and go, that definitely happened. Whereas a belief is anything that's arguable. That was a good point. That was a bad point. So that's my first distinction. Fact versus belief. Beliefs are arguable. And then limiting belief, when we talk about that, a limiting belief is any belief. So any story, arguable thing that we're choosing to be true which actually gets in the way of what we say that we want. Frequently, limiting beliefs are unconscious. A big part of the work is pulling them up to be conscious. But yeah, a limiting belief is something that I am choosing to be true, choosing to believe is true, which is actually sabotaging myself and getting in the way of what I want. That was beautiful. Corey, would you like to give him a grade? A+. Oh, oh yeah i thought a b was coming i don't know why yeah me too just kidding i have no idea um for me i would say the way i think about limiting beliefs is they're the stories that we or someone else have been telling us so often that they have kind of grooved truth in ourselves that we now believe that are not necessarily fact compared to Justin and often are like a defense mechanism that we leverage to avoid discomfort, growth, or challenge. That's usually how I see it. You also get an A plus. 
Thank fucking God. I got just, really nervous, Corey. I thought you were going to be like, just an A plus, Ricky, D minus. I'm a liberal grader, though. It's okay. <laughs> I just like giving A pluses because I like getting A pluses. Understandable. <clears throat> but that's, that's so, how I think about limiting beliefs. Okay. So for me, limiting beliefs, <laughs> Justin talked about fact versus, you know, perception or, or beliefs. In my mind, my belief is that facts are largely irrelevant relative to our beliefs and our perceptions, because factually I can be very accomplished or intelligent based off of IQ measures or, you know, my track record, things like this. <clears throat> but if my perception is that I suck, that I'm a failure, that, you know, success is going to corrupt me, whatever, that I, I am a broken person, I'm a piece of shit, whatever, then this perception, these beliefs that I have, these stories I'm telling myself about myself, the world around me, what I'm capable of, what I deserve, all these things outweigh the facts presented to me. Right. So, and, and again, within psychology, right? Psychology is about the study of beliefs and behavior, our thoughts and behaviors, right? And whether that is in day-to-day -day life, in business and whatever, our perceptions, our beliefs about the world around us and ourselves far outweigh any facts in our environment that are presented to us. Okay. And that's where a lot of people kind of get tripped up is they try to focus too much on facts. They try to logic their way out of things when a lot of times logic, and I know this is coming from me, logic isn't the the only way out of a limited or a false belief. Okay. So that is, these are sort of what limiting beliefs are to me of the, the perceptions, the ideas, the thoughts we have about ourselves and about the work we do and our potential. Limiting beliefs specifically are beliefs that limit our ability to reach that potential. Yeah. Corey, what I hear is if we are our stories or if we are primarily driven by our stories, our behavior, our potential, what we do is defined by and driven by our stories, then limiting beliefs are those stories that actually put a cap on the possibility, the drive, where we can go. And what I had the thought when you were speaking, Ricky, and I might be getting ahead of the game here, but the more frequent things I look for when I'm, I'm, have my limiting belief alarms on our shoulds and shouldn'ts, cans mm -hmm. and can'ts, and goods and bads. Can I throw one more? Always nevers. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Like anything that is like this broad, you know, broad sweeping statements that that's usually more nuanced. I think a lot of times when I think about limiting beliefs, it actually takes me back to oftentimes we talk about dichotomy, like the three of us, not always on this podcast, but we talk about the concept of dichotomy of like, yes, no, black, white, like these things are so clear and limiting beliefs kind of hang out in a similar adjacent space to me because oftentimes a limiting belief might sound like, oh, I'm not good at math. And it's like, okay, it's more complicated than that, right? It's like, you're still functioning. You can still recognize that four quarters go into a dollar. So that's, that's the, that's what I really think about it is like, it kind of sits in those, those pains of the, the desire for black and white. And this is just who I am. And well, and like, and beliefs, reduced agency. Mm -hmm. 
Well, mm-hmm. beliefs influence behavior, right? So Ricky, you're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, my belief is I suck at math or I'm not good at math, which has the other implication of, and I, and therefore I will never be good at math. Right. Yes. So what happens is you have this initial belief that you suck at math, whether because you had a negative experience or you just, you are intimidated by, by mathing. And the fact that you have this belief leads you typically to not put in as much effort because it's like, what is the point? I'm going to fail Mm -hmm. at this anyway. I'm not good at this. People like me aren't good at this. Mm -hmm. So then when you struggle, you don't ask for help. You don't apply as much effort. You don't put in as much work with homework. You don't, you know, group up with people. You don't study as hard. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling belief of, I suck at math. Well, then you get to the point where you actually do suck at math because you never tried to be better at math, right? And this is the thing that this idea consistently comes up because damn near 10 times out of 10, we are in our own way with whatever it is in life. And that typically comes down to the limiting beliefs that we have about ourselves, our potential, the world around us, all of that. Go ahead, Justin. Oh, just, it's very easy, I think, to clue into limiting beliefs as just limiting beliefs I hold about myself. But I want to add, there's, we can really have limiting beliefs about ourselves, about others, mm-hmm. and about the world around us. Yeah. And, and while it's really easy to go, oh, look at all these limiting beliefs I have about me, frequently another huge limiter is the limiting beliefs I hold around the people around me, my team my partner or partners, the people I partner with, and the world. What's good or bad about the world and what's possible out there. And so really looking at how we hold what's possible or what should or shouldn't happen or what's good or bad about all of those things, there's a lot of ways that limiting beliefs can show up and get in our way of moving forward. Yeah. Exactly. As- and- especially, Corey, you said that it's it's a lot of it's like unconscious work. I think that's interesting here as well, which is that oftentimes those limiting beliefs, when you're applying it either to yourself or to the world around you, it's not even known. You're not even recognizing that it's showing up for you. So when you have someone on your team, let's say that you're not supporting a promotion or advocating for them and you start to play with, well, why? Oftentimes it's limiting beliefs based on that person that they they might actually be qualified for the promotion, but you've created and assigned some sort of limiting belief to them that unconsciously, and it impacts their progression and success. Like, like limiting beliefs in general, I think not only impact your own potential, but those around you. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. there's this other thing called confirmation bias, Mm -hmm. which all it really means is we seek things that confirm the beliefs that we have about the world and and our own perceptions. Right. So for example, and, and, and this can create this sort of an echo chamber. So if I am thinking about starting a company, for example, and then I go into, and I start looking at all the reasons that companies fail. Well, over time, all I'm going to, because I, I secretly think, or I unconsciously think that it isn't going to work out. Well, I'm going to look for all the reasons to confirm that. So then eventually my entire timeline, especially with algorithms and everything, everything I see is just company failures, companies that went bankrupt, founders who hated their their life or, you know, had all these struggles. Well, eventually that becomes my truth, my reality, independent of fact, right? Because truth and, and fact aren't always the same thing. My truth is, my reality is 
this is going to fail. I am going to fail. And that influences every action I take from that moment on. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I have unconsciously surrounded myself with confirmation of that belief, that limited belief that I have. Right. Because if you think about like what we as coaches do, right, <clears throat> we're not chiropractors, we're not physical therapists, we don't touch our clients, <laughs> at least we're not supposed to. Right. <laughs> we do not physically manipulate our clients. All we do is talk to them. Right. Well, what do we typically talk to them about? We talk to them about gaining clarity, right, on, on how, you know, maybe they have a skewed perception that is getting in their way, a, a blind spot they hadn't considered. We help them develop strategies, right, which, again, we're not drawing up the plans for them. We're just helping them create their own strategies, right, and offering, you know, a, a neutral perspective, right? And then we help them with accountability, which, again, we, we're not doing anything. We're just there offering a different perspective. It's just talking typically. Right. Mm -hmm. And all we're honestly doing most of the time is helping them consider and potentially rewire beliefs that they have to be less limiting or maladaptive and more adaptive, more proactive. That is the majority of the things that we tend to do as coaches. Right. Which, and so for me, most things come down to that, our own beliefs and perceptions about ourselves, our potential in the world around us. I, I, I'm glad we don't talk that. We all agree that we shouldn't touch our clients. Um, I, I was mean, actually thinking, Ricky, if you're a coach out there and you do touch your clients, there will probably be a documentary made about you someday and you're staying in prison. This is your PSA. <laughs> your coach should not touch you. Go ahead. <laughs> Correct. And if they're inviting you to level seven, you should get the fuck out of there. <laughs> so what I was going to say, Corey, that's is another actually, episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole thing. Corey, what yeah. I was going to say is what you were, res what was resonating with me was like, it's so true. I feel like limiting beliefs is one of the number one things we do as coaches. And I feel like it shows up so often in our practice. And it's also why you work with a coach most of the time is because you sort of say there's this potential or I, I want this thing, but there are these blockers and you recognize that it's that, that the call is coming from inside the house and you're like, something's going on here and I don't know what it is. And that, that work can be a combination of therapy or hiring or working with a coach. But when it's so wild, because when we talk about limiting beliefs, these, these patterns or these stories that we have told ourselves you know, so much when I think back coaching is also around increasing agency, increasing ownership, increasing your ability to take control of the controllables versus the ones that are not. And that's going to be so supportive to battling and, and, and spending time with and recognizing what limiting beliefs you have and maybe where they came from and sort of what you want to do about them. Yeah, it's called exactly. growth. Well, and like I saw this episode with Jocko and at one point, I don't know if he was talking to Tim Ferriss or what, but he was talking about psychologists and, and you know, the like, and he said, another way that he kind of thinks about it is like, they're a mind mechanic, right? Cause he was, cause you know, a lot of people are in intimidated about therapy or coaching and things like that. So he was trying to put it in like dude terms. <clears throat> he was like, look, if your car is messed up, you go to a mechanic to fix that. Right. Well, if your mind has something that's a little, you know, you're struggling with because eliminating belief or something else, you go to somebody who specializes in, in dealing with that thing. Right. So I like that, that metaphor of like a mind mechanic, 
right? Of like, okay, you know, let's diagnose what's going on. Let's figure out the, the right path forward for you. Like what, what piece is missing that we can switch out or do something else, right? Because that's a lot of what limiting beliefs are or, or dealing with beliefs is let's find a better belief to substitute for this limiting one, right? Let's not just outright remove it. Let's find a better one to put in its place. And that's a lot of what coaching kind of becomes. So for you all, what are the most common limiting beliefs that you tend to see either in your own life or with your clients? Okay. Categories that immediately come up. Let me just shoot from the hip. Um, one set of limiting beliefs is if I show up in X, Y, Z way, then the people out there are going to react in ABC way, which I don't want them to. And what this limiting belief is usually leveraged to is um, there's a way that I'm behaving or relating or showing up that's not working effectively for me. And we're considering, hey, what happens if you showed up a little bit differently? And immediately a belief clamps down and says, well, if I show up in this way, I know how the other people are going to respond to it and it won't be effective. That is a huge limiting belief frequently that comes from the past. Hey, I've seen how this has gone down before and therefore I know how it's going to go down now, which actually cuts off the capacity for new behavior. How could you show up differently than that, but still show up in a different way to not create that reaction? It really cuts off the capacity to try something new. So that's a big one. Another limiting belief that's very different from this I can or can't do things is I should or shouldn't do or be good at things. And this could be a really confusing one, and it's, it's a really specific thing to explore. But frequently, we have ideas of, okay, if I'm a coach or if I'm a leader, I should be good at XYZ things. As a leader, I should be good at negotiating. As a coach, I should be good at the XYZ skill set. And sometimes that belief that, oh, I should be good at that thing that I'm not can actually detract and pull me away from what I'm good at and take me away from being in a zone of genius or where I'm most effective. And so there's a really nefarious limiting belief of I should be different than I am, better at this thing that I'm not good at or such and such. And probably the last category, which I said at is um, making something out in the world, good or bad, that then puts a, a, a buffer on my capacity. Well, people who make a lot of money are bad. And therefore, if I make a lot of money, I'm bad. CEOs of big companies are bad or people who are really successful in a capitalistic system are bad. And therefore, were I to get there, I would be bad or some variation of that, which those can also be very nefarious because they feel impersonal. They feel like, oh, no, these are just judgments I have about people on the world. But frequently those judgments we project back onto ourselves and form ceilings and limiters for what's possible for us. And so those are probably the three biggest ones that come to mind for me. I like the idea of because I'd heard this years ago of don't shit all over yourself. Mm -hmm. And like I just I love that idea of I should do this. I should not do that they should have done this, this should have happened. And you're living in this, this world where reality isn't living up to your expectations, largely because your expectations are unrealistic. So I really like that. 
Ricky. I was no, I was gonna say as you were making me think about shoulds, and I was like, yeah, I, so often that's around like this like parallel pathing kind of thing that happens, like multiverse components that I hear from folks, um, and that actually shows up with limiting beliefs. Is this idea of like I should have done already? There's a lot of like an idea of too too. It's too late. That's what I hear a lot with the folks that I work with. This sort of limiting belief of because I am here now, I cannot change in the future. You know, I, I should have made this change in the past. And so you, you using should, Corey, really made me think about that one because it comes up a lot for the folks that I work with. Um, some of them are also like internalized ones around like, who am I as a person? And especially those can be really limiting because they could be things like, well, I'm not really leadership material. I'm not a great manager. Um, I'm not worthy of more money. I'm actually an imposter. I'm not good at networking. I'm not good at sales. I'm not good at operations and, and all these kinds of narratives of someone or they had some kind of element that someone said this or they felt this at some point and it just has magnified as a characteristic. It's now a trait. It's a personality trait of who they are. Uh, and a lot of the work is around managing that. Um, a lot of it, a lot of limiting beliefs, I think also come up with my clients are ones that are, that are long rooted from childhood. Like that, that's, that's one of the things that I think comes up really interestingly. Usually I feel like a lot of times I'm talking to folks who culturally are maybe immigrants or second, second gen. And so because of that, there's a lot of limiting beliefs that have been placed upon them, right? Oh, I'm, I, because I'm not a doctor, anything I do is not worthy and I was just having this conversation with my, with my boo the other day and we were talking about, um, Fang is the new doctor. Like if you work at, like, if you can't, if you can't be a doctor, you might as well work at like Facebook, Apple, Amazon, you know, that, that, that whole crew. And it's become really prevalent and I especially see it. Whereas like, if there's like a prestige element that shows up in the limiting beliefs that I hear as well often, which is like, if I don't have this level or once I have this level and I'll never reach that level, then that, that has impact on who I am and how I see myself as a person. Yeah. There's, there's know, a man that was real disorganized. I don't know. I got, I have so many. <laughs> there's a, a through line quality here to me around limiting beliefs, which is I become prisoner and limited by something I'm making up about the world. And instead of me adapting to try and shift an outcome, I'm pigeonholing myself into an outcome, which I've already decided is going to happen. There's like, I've tried to cue into like this energetic sense, which is like, I've, I've already decided how something is going to go. And now I'm just squeezing myself into that rather than there's such a fundamental shift in orientation. If it's not even for me, the need to drop the belief, it's not the, even the need to believe that the opposite is true or that the belief is wrong, but it's just creating space to test the belief. It's just creating space. Would you be willing for something other than that belief to be possible? And if you can get to a yes there, suddenly a whole new realm of behavior and possibility emerges from just loosening the grip on it a little bit. It's 
it this conversation immediately makes me think about I mean Corey you were talking about confirmation bias right and we were talking a little bit about when you see something and it sort of creates those patterns it takes me back to when we talked about manifesting like it's the it's the kind of the opposite version which is that in manifesting it's like oh I want these things and I'll I hold it a little bit loosely and therefore like I start looking for the patterns and the opportunities and I experience it just when I hear you speaking it it's not necessarily direct opposite but it's basically saying because I believe this negative thing, right? Not necessarily negative, but I, but I have this belief that is not expansive. It's actually restrictive. I stop looking for those opportunities. And instead I find myself in the patterns where I don't have agency, that I don't have control, that instead I'm making decisions that actually help meet my expected outcome, which is to fulfill the belief that I already have stated. Yes. Like I'm thinking of like leadership of how frequently one big theme that I pointed to is like, this person's going to react negatively. That's not a fact. You can't know. You can't know how that person's going to react. But the moment I believe that, that when I deliver this news or I set this boundary or I request for this thing that somebody's going to react negatively, inherently I am driving my bus towards, well, what's the best possible outcome given a negative reaction? And it's like, no, there's a whole nother realm of possibility of a neutral reaction, a great reaction, but I'm absolutely blind to it. I'm absolutely blind to these other possibilities. It's just this really confining worldview of, well, because I should be this way as a leader, I have to drive my bus that way, or because they will react that way, I have to drive the car this way. And it's so limiting. There's so, it's like, Oh, there's handcuffs on you when you well, and the, when you're holding one. Yeah, and I think even as you're describing, the other thing that happens in what you're describing is the because you believe that that's the way that the bus is going to move. There's over preparation for that direction. Whereas yeah. you don't need to spend three days freaking out about the way that you assume that that person is going to respond because. It's a fucking assumption. It's not true. We don't know how they're going to respond. Now, of course, you can prepare and you can try to control, but you have no idea how they're going to respond. And you spend all this time living in turmoil and expectation of this sort of response when it could have been a neutral, it could have been positive. And the cognitive load that you've been carrying, uh, put it put it down. Put it the fuck down. I think that's a great point. The 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 reality that holding on to limiting beliefs is also it's just a grindy, it's a frequently grindy and painful and unpleasant. It makes things way more painful, which sometimes is why people hold on to limiting beliefs. There's a limiting belief that things need to be hard and then we make things hard. Yeah. Well, there's comfort in that. Right? Comfort there's in the com known. Well, there there's is comfort, comfort in the, in the known. known. And there's comfort, a very distorted, maladaptive comfort, but there is a comfort in feeling like a victim, in feeling like you don't have agency, because then you have something else to blame. The I world. I can point at it. Exactly. Because we they hate blaming ourselves. Me. We hate oh, blaming yeah. ourselves. It is so much easier to blame other people. So when we have the belief that we do not have agency, that we do not have freedom, that we do not have the, the thing that is clearly the only thing between us and the people who, who we secretly envy, right? Money, intelligence, resources, something else, right? If only we had that thing, but we don't and we can't get it based on this limiting belief we have. So it's okay for us 
to blame the, the people who do have it because something about that was unfair. Right. And I think we all, I mean, I'll speak for myself. <clears throat> I know a shit ton of people like that. It's just easier for them to blame external circumstances that reinforce that confirm the belief they have that no matter what they do, they cannot or will not succeed. But what actually happens is they close off all the doors of opportunity presented to them. And the few things they do go after they half ass going after. And then when it inevitably fails, they say, look, see motherfucker, I told you the world is against me. I can't win. It's for other people. The system is rigged. Part of the system might be sure, but not the entire thing all day, every day. And that is the thing like, it, but you can also see, and we're getting slightly tangential, but this is relevant. You also see the opposite. You see people who have significant factually accurate limitations who still thrive. There's this one guy I in no way remember his name. Cause I think it is something maybe Greek of something, but he's just dude, I can look it up later, but he basically was born. He's got one limb and on that limb has like one finger, right? So like his body is like his torso. I'm not going to remember his name. His body is like his torso and like one limb with a finger. And he is absolutely fucking flourishing. But so many people would be like, oh, you know, I, I stubbed my toe today. I just, I can't, I can't even. It, the world is against me. But then you have people who have real limitations who choose to push through those limiting beliefs to see what is on the other side. Right. And that is why I always come back to <laughs> beliefs outweigh facts every single time. So you have to be super careful about the beliefs you allow into your mind and keep there. You, you really made me think of it as, um, you know, when you were describing this kind of victim element there, it's, it's protective, right? It's safety, it's security, it's staying in a place of, of comfort and avoiding challenge and avoiding growth, which is avoiding potential in many ways. And so when we, when we recognize and spend time with and mess with our limiting beliefs, it's going to be uncomfortable. We're going to fuck up. We're going to do things that feel difficult and hard. And we might need to ask for support. We might need to ask for help, which is incredibly vulnerable. And we might need to rethink patterns that have been deeply ingrained within ourselves. And so I think there's, it, there's, there's one thing that I want to highlight, which is limiting beliefs are really fucking hard. They're really hard to recognize. They're really hard to work with. And because oftentimes the, the language itself, it's a belief, right? It's like, think about how hard it is to get someone to change their fucking mind. And then like, you're talking about changing a belief that has become so resonant that it is overpowering fact and logic. And so, you know, that belief has also been a protective measure. It's been something that has helped you avoid discomfort or falling on your face or fucking up. And so 
I think that's that's one of the things that I was like having this moment that I was like, I want to make sure that anybody listening who's like, oh, I just got to fix my limiting. This shit is hard. And it's going to hang out and then you're going to get new limiting beliefs. It's, it's, it's a never ending party. The guy's yeah, name is pleasures. Nick Santanastaso. I'm sure I'm butchering that. But exactly. Because like for for so many of us, it, so and I'll fold this into my definition and, and like the most common beliefs that I see. Yeah, because we never asked you. That's okay. I'll ask myself. Good. Part of we it is. We didn't ask because we didn't care. That's okay. <laughs> I accept that. I'm going to fucking tell you anyway. Corey doesn't have any limiting beliefs about saying what he wants to say, regardless of if anyone cares. Fuck him. That's my, my, my motto. Fuck him. But that and bullshit. So part of the issue with limiting beliefs, like you're talking about, Ricky, is we hold on to them because we see them as part of ourselves. Because we don't see it as a limiting belief. We see it as a truth, as our truth, our reality, that we have also attached our identity and many times personality too, right? And, and again, I, I, I don't do therapy anymore, but the whole, but there is a growing movement, whether it is younger millennials or Gen Z and things like this, of this glorifying, oh, I am ADHD. I am this, I have that. And they wrap everything around it. So anytime you, anytime anything ever comes up, oh, that's just my ADHD. Oh, that's just, you know, my, this over here. Right. And that becomes a limiting belief of I can't do X because of this. So you don't even try, right? Cause you can, regardless of what you have, whatever struggles you have, you can find tons of ways to adapt to it or, or, or adapt around it. But if you have the belief of this is just how I am and this is how I will always be, there's nothing that can change it. Then that sets the tone for the rest of your life because you don't seek other ways of, of going about the world. You don't, try to learn more about it. You just say, yep, this is my reality. This is my truth, right? For me, the most common limiting beliefs, <clears throat> I kind of lump into two categories. The first category is what I call the four horsemen of fear. And these tend to be the most common, right? And this is probably my, one of my biggest soapboxes I, I tend to talk about, but I'll keep it brief. The four horsemen of fear are the things that I see most people struggle with day in and day out. Whether you are, you know, nine to five entrepreneur creator, doesn't really matter. The majority of things that we struggle with tend to fall into one of these four. Because most people think that it is, you know, a lack of intelligence, lack of money, lack of resources, things like this that hold us back. It is more often than not these limiting beliefs. So the first one is fear of failure. This is one everybody's familiar with. What if I fail? What if I'm not good enough to do the thing? What if this doesn't work out? And a lot of times <clears throat> this kind of tricks us into never even starting because why would you start something you quote unquote know is going to fail? Okay. And I know plenty of people who, who really struggle with this. They, they want to write, they want to start a business. They want to get a different job. Oh, but nobody will read it. The business won't work out. Nobody's going to hire me. I'll bomb my interview. So they never even fucking try. The second one is fear of ridicule. And this is where we are so preoccupied with what other people may or may not think about us or what they may or may not say about us that we keep ourselves small. We don't put ourselves or ideas out into the world because we are more afraid of the judgment of strangers than what we know we are uniquely qualified and 
are purpose-driven to do, right? The third one is fear of uncertainty. And this is where we're so afraid of making the wrong decision, we end up making no decision. This is where like analysis paralysis comes in of let me spend three fucking days like going down to YouTube rabbit holes to figure out which microphone that I should get for this podcast or which lens or which camera or which software, right? Or let me spend three weeks, you know, just trying to figure out the, the best X that I should get or, or which business plan is the best one for me. Or let me create this super elaborate content flywheel that I never actually fucking do anything with because it eventually just gets so incomprehensibly complicated. I can't do anything with it because it is easier to do that than to risk making the wrong decision. And the fourth one, which fucks up most people, but they don't realize it is fear of success. And you might think, well, why would I be afraid to achieve the thing I claim to want? And that typically is because if you've never achieved major success, however you define it, success tends to represent crossing a threshold of before and after. Well, if you've never achieved major success, the only version of you that you know, as you recognize is pre-success you. Achieving success means it represents crossing a threshold into somebody you do not recognize. What if I become corrupted by power and influence? What if I lose my, my ambition, my motivation, right? What if that means I've peaked in life and I'm only in my mid twenties or my mid thirties, then the rest of my life is just kind of fucking downhill, right? So that limiting belief tends to cause us to basically trip right at the finish line. You put in all this effort, all this work, you do all, all the, all the shit, you know, you need to do, and you're actually gaining traction. But right before you cross that threshold, you, you do something to self-sabotage. So if you have a tendency of starting up a bunch of things and seeing solid traction, but then somehow mysteriously, every time something happens that it, it, it just falls apart, you may actually have a fear of success. Okay. So that's the first category. Second one tends to just kind of revolve around personal narratives, which are just the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Right? So Ricky, you talked earlier about, you know, if, if you're the kid of immigrants, Basically, uh, the, the common story is if you're not a doctor, maybe a lawyer or an engineer, maybe, maybe an accountant, the only other option is you're a fucking failure, right? Or where I grew up, there was this, this idea of people like me don't do this. People like us don't succeed. People like us go to prison. People like us do this, right? This is a personal narrative I have about myself. Right. And this also influences or dictates the actions you take because you have this story, this internal monologue, this, this narrative you're constantly rehashing over and over and over again. And that dictates your perception, your reality, your beliefs. So if you have a toxic personal narrative, you're kind of fucked right out the gate, but you can learn with a lot of practice to rewrite your personal narrative, to be something more empowering than disempowering. So those tend to be the most common limiting beliefs that I see both in my life, personal life, and just client work. <laughs> Do you have anything to add to that before? End, I end of episode. End of episode. I'm just <laughs> I just want to track it. back to the point Ricky was making and Corey, you kind of hit on it, which is 
shifting limiting beliefs can be a really challenging and terrifying process. And the analogy that came up for me is like, if, if really like we think that our reality is defined by physical laws, like gravity and, and inertia and all these things, but more realistically, like our experience of reality is defined by our beliefs. And so really toying by belief with deep beliefs as you get deeper and deeper and deeper is like playing with the laws, the fundamental laws of your psyche. And it is like starting to challenge like the law of gravity that you have held. And frequently, as Ricky said, you've put those in place because at some point you experienced some pain, some suffering, something really challenging or scary that made you go, nope, law of gravity. If I'm angry, bad things happen. And so this process of identifying these beliefs, like I've gone through it myself. I know a lot of people who have, at times it feels like your reality is shaking. Like it feels shake, like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in a hurricane and the house might come down here as you are really pushing some fundamental edges where you believe, no, if I go here, no matter what, it's going to go bad. And being willing to try it anyway and face that and see what happens it's really, really hard. It can be really, really terrifying. And so, yeah, I think the process involves a lot of compassion. Ricky, you talked about understanding where they came from and why they're here and that they are protective and understanding that and holding compassion for yourself in that process. Really, really important in my opinion. Yeah. How do limiting beliefs tend to show up like the actual like symptoms or, or overt signs show up either for you or your clients and the work you do. Because most people, at least in my experience, most people don't say, Hey, Corey, I have a fear of success. Can right. you help me with that? <laughs> they, usually come to me, they usually come to me with something that is much more overt, much easier to observe that they're like, this is my problem. But as we get into it, we realize, no, nah, this is a symptom. The root cause was this limiting belief way down here. Well, symptoms and then getting to the belief is kind of the structure. And so one symptom is believing that you know how things are going to go. That's one. Anytime where somebody really thinks they know how things are going to go in the future, that is definitionally a belief. None of us know how things are going to go in the future. Not one of us. And so that's one symptom, whether it's knowing this is going to be hard or go poorly or blah, blah, blah. Like there's a bracing at that belief. And one question I was trained to ask myself as a coach, but also sometimes you can literally ask someone to really get at it, which is what is this person really getting to be right about right now in this situation. Like they're struggling with something and there is something that they are really, really right about. I can or can't do this. That person can or can't do that. That person will react this way. They shouldn't or shouldn't have done this. Like really tracking in me. And this is what, when I do my own inner work, this is one of the questions. What am I really, what am I really trying to be right about right now? And so tracking that along with other people and also literally asking them, like, is there anything you feel like you're really right about right now? Yeah, this is going to go poorly. Yeah, so-and-so is a dick. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to pull this off. That can be a really quick way to cut into it. I like it. I think um, 
one of the ones, just one of the ones that comes to mind, maybe because I was doing it this week, is uh, when I'm working with someone whose limiting belief shows up as uh, in the should space, Corey, like, like, oh, I, I, I must do this or this is, this is a fact in the world around me that if I, if I do this, then this will be the result and I will have this and like very much like I, I must take this action or everyone else is doing this or this, this is happening because this is like, right, this is fact. And, and so I think the, the, the question that I often, often play with is, um, well, who told you that? Who told you that? Right? Like oftentimes when we have this story, it's, it's who told you that that is the thing that needs to be done. And sometimes that realization, and I know we can't logic our way out, but it shows up often that it's like, oh, no one fucking told me that. Like, this is just a story I've been telling myself that I'm so angry. It could look like, oh, everybody's making more money than me. Well, how much money are they making? Oh, I, I don't know. But they're making more than me. How do you know? Like, where, where is it coming from that you've formed this belief that this needs to happen? Or I need, I need to go get a graduate degree because if I have a graduate degree, everyone will take me seriously. Well, who, who told you that? Where did you learn that? Why is that coming from you? And so oftentimes it's about, it, it's almost, it, it can actually be quite playful for, for me and the work that, that we do, which is often playing with. And it's not saying like, oh, that's, that's a limiting belief. That's fiction that you've told yourself. It's more sometimes it, sometimes someone did tell them that, right? Sometimes they do have a little bit of fact that they haven't highlighted. And so it's about starting to suss out where is fact, where is narrative, where are the self-told stories, where are the externally told stories, what information do we actually have at our disposal that helps us make an informed decision versus blank statement, blank answer. That actually reminds me, Ricky, of a great exercise, which you're queuing into, which mm. to really get to the core of this, and I'll add a layer of what Ricky said, take any issue you're struggling with, two columns on a piece of paper, fact, story. Mm -hmm. In the fact column, write down all of the facts, facts, unarguables. Anybody, somebody completely foreign to the situation would walk in the room and go, yep, that is a fact. That is a fact about the situation. And stories, arguables. This is a story that I'm making up about it. And frequently what happens if we're struggling is that fact column is short and that story column is long. And the That's pain like <laughs> is almost always in the story column. Oh, yeah. Like as you're saying that, I was like the fact, especially when you think about like someone who just come in and had the information. It's like the fact is like there's like two. Frequently, there are like the two. Like the stories are 30. everywhere. And then, <gasps> yeah, like like Ricky said, if, if find the juiciest stories over there that are causing the most angst and go, one, ask yourself, yeah, who told you that? Where did I get this from? And then there's a bunch of other stuff you can do from there. Yeah. Corey, what so, about you? Well, to, to add on to Justin, psychologists do this thing called like an ABC, an antecedent belief and consequence or antecedent behavior consequence. All that really means is the next time you catch yourself like having what you identify as a limiting belief or, or a toxic personal narrative, you can kind of write down what happened right before this belief that may have cued or triggered this belief. So what happened? 
what was my belief? And then what did I do after that? Right? Because this gives you insane insight into the things that tend to cue or trigger these limiting beliefs and these toxic personal narratives that you experience potentially throughout the day. Right. And then it gives you insight into how do you typically respond after you have this, this, after you rehash this limiting belief. Okay. So that's, that's a super powerful thing of like, what caused it? What was it? What did I do afterward? Right. <clears throat> so that's, I just want to add that for, for me, a lot of the times that I see people come to me for, for help with things, it's like, Hey, Corey, I struggle with procrastination or imposter syndrome or perfectionism, bunch of shit. We've already had episodes on. If you, so if you haven't checked those out, do that. But those are, are more overt, right? And, and so I'll take procrastination. For example, 99% of productivity gurus are full of shit. Very, very, very few of them are even worth listening to. But the main reason for that, and again, I'm mostly active on Twitter or X, whatever the fuck we're calling it now. So I see all the thread boys, the productivity guru thread boys who are like, you know, here's how to be more productive. Here's how to, you know, crush procrastination. 10 things that seem that sound illegal to know or some bullshit. <laughs> those are all the, those are all the cringy fucking hooks. They use. 10 things that are, should be illegal to know. That's really Dude. good, man. Wow. Dude, that's a legit one that yeah people use. That's our next so, podcast episode. <laughs> Ten things that should be illegal to know. <laughs> so, with with procrastination, they'll tell you like all these things, right? Or, or time management. So you need to time block. You need to do Eisenhower matrices. You need to do Pomodoro. You need to take some fucking enzyme mushroom blend in your fucking coffee. All the things, right? You need to take Sponsored nicotine. Link. Sponsored. Yeah. Here here's the link. Yeah. So. The issue is at, at, not that most of those aren't wrong, like Eisenhower matrix and, and time blocking shit. Those are all solid strategies, solid productivity strategies. Very but effective. For the majority, yeah. But for the majority of people, if fundamentally your struggle is that you are afraid of failure or you are afraid of, of facing the risk of failure, all the time blocking in the world won't do jack shit. Okay. So all these fucking productivity gurus only focus on the symptoms and not the cause because people who quote unquote struggle to procrast with procrastination, a lot of them still get shit done when there's a fucking deadline. So procrastination wasn't your issue. There was something else typically, not always, but typically, typically, if you are fundamentally afraid of failure, then we need to fuck with that. We need to focus on what is this limiting belief because the function that procrastination is serving is to help you avoid facing this fear. Because the longer I push off this thing, the longer I tinker because of my perfectionism, the more I refuse to enter that room because I feel like I've got imposter syndrome, I don't belong in that room, whatever this is, all those are serving the specific function to help you avoid the thing you're actually afraid of. So, all the positive self-talk for imposter syndrome, all the fucking relaxation, self-acceptance for perfectionism and all the fucking productivity bullshit for procrastination. None of them do fuck all. If fundamentally your issue is that you're fucking afraid learning to identify that and then address that core root issue. That is how you move forward. 
which is why you see all these people, they buy every fucking productivity book, they read all the threads, they watch all the YouTube things, and their shit is still the same. Because none of these are actually dealing with the thing you're actually fundamentally struggling with, which is this limiting belief of some sort. So that's how it usually shows up for me. And that is a soapbox I will probably die on. Briefly, Corey, what you made me think of is there's another concept called a cognitive emotive loop. And this is also one of the vicious things about beliefs is we can get somewhere where we have one of these limiting beliefs, which it like, no matter what, Corey's going to react poorly if I say this to him. And then that makes me angry. And then I feel anger, which then makes me believe the belief even more. And suddenly, this is how you get really, really stuck in issues, which is, or it makes me feel sad and disempowered or fearful. And we just loop between the belief and the emotion, and each is respectively magnifying each other and entrenching it more and more. And what you're pointing to, Corey, is no amount of reframing or tools or blah, blah, blah can help you escape that cognitive emotive loop. What has to happen is there has to be a facing of the emotion that's there and go back. We just did emotional intelligence and like working with the emotion. And then you have to go for the belief because if you don't challenge the belief, the emotion just shows up again and you're back in looping. And so this is a really fundamental skill. I, I'm so with you that for people, when I work with people and they're really stuck on something for a long time, it is there is a cognitive emotive loop that is running them here that they just can't escape. And temporarily, they may be able to get out of it with a tool or something, but they are locked into that. And we have to get to the core of that limiting belief to actually fundamentally shift around the issue. So last piece, and then we'll, we'll land this plane. Mm -hmm. How do you typically approach dealing with limiting beliefs, again, either in your own life or your client work? My favorite tool for this is from Byron Katie, and it's called The Work. She has a really incredible book called Loving What Is. And so the first question, let's say you've got the belief. You've done this fact and story. You've got a belief that's juicy and challenging for you. The first question to honestly ask yourself is, are you willing to let go of being right about the belief? Not even saying that it's false or that something else is, is the truth, but are you willing to in this moment just let go of holding on to this is how it has to go? That's the first step, because if that answer is no, I'm simply not willing to let go of being right about this, then great, you're, you're not going to be able to shift the limiting belief at all. And so let me actually give, go briefly good on that track. In, in my experience, if the answer is no, I'm not willing to let go of being right, then the game to play is why not? Why shouldn't you let go of, of being right about that belief? And specifically go after, what are you afraid of would happen if you were to let go of being right about that belief? Because that's actually pointing to what's the fear, what's the scarring, what's the thing that's leading me to hold on to this still, and I am simply not willing to have that experience. I'm not willing to risk that experience by letting go of the belief. If you find, hey, there is some willingness to let go of the belief, Byron Katie has four core questions that she has you ask. The first question is, is the belief true? Is the story actually true? The second question is, can you absolutely know that it's true? Because sometimes the answer is, yeah, that's true. And the second question is, can you absolutely know? Can you absolutely, without a doubt, 100% know that it's true? 
And almost always that answer is no, I can't. The next question is, um, how do you feel when you believe that thought? What arises in you when you believe whatever the limiting belief is? And then the final question is, who would you be without the thought? How could you move through the world if you weren't holding on to that belief? And that's a really the, – the reason why I love this exercise so much is because it's, it's really about the function of the belief. It's about the pros and cons and costs of the belief. This belief is causing something to happen. What is the belief causing to happen inside of me and what would it be like if I didn't have it? And painting those pictures can really show, oh, this is what this belief is costing me. And Byron Katie has a bunch more other beautiful things uh, that you can play with about it. There's these things called turnarounds and things, but the core work is those four questions and always ask them in that order because it's really going to elucidate to you what's going on and take your time with it. And that when, when I'm doing belief work for me, that's what I'm doing over and over and over again. And with clients, if we really hone in on a belief, that's the game that I'm playing with them. Love it. The final turnaround, actually, let me highlight is if you get to the point where it's loose is, are you willing to see that the opposite of your belief is as true or truer? And look for the evidence. And so the idea here isn't that the first belief is false, but it's that the opposite story or belief could be as true or truer. And then you go looking for the evidence. You intentionally actually use confirmation bias the other way and go looking for how is the opposite side as true or truer? How is it as mm -hmm. true or truer that Corey might react well to what I say to him? And it's carving space for more possibility. You're doing reality testing. Exactly. Corey, Ricky, what about you? you? Nah, Corey, you next. Oh. So specifically for the four horsemen of fear, right? Cause I already kind of touched on the personal narrative of how I'll go backward then. So with the personal narrative, it's all about rewriting it. Okay. So asking the question, asking two questions, what is your current personal narrative that you've identified as toxic and what would a more adaptive, empowering personal narrative look like? And then how can you slowly start to practice that new, more empowered personal narrative over time. Because it takes time. It'll feel awkward at first. But this whole idea of whatever you consistently do, you get better at. So if you've consistently told yourself you're a broken piece of shit for 20 years, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm a go-getter. I am capable. It's going to feel awkward as fuck because you, you, you're comparing 20 years of shitting on yourself to one day of trying to do better. Right. So you have to give it time, but be consistent with it. But with the four horsemen of fear, I typically favor what I call fear inoculation. I can't remember if I've talked about this in another episode or not, but I'll say it again real quick. All fear inoculation is, is just like how, and I'm not that kind of doctor, but the way vaccines or regular inoculations work, my very elementary understanding is you introduce a little bit of the bad thing in a controlled environment so that you can build up a tolerance or an immunity in case you ever come across the real bad thing out into the world. So fear inoculation works on a similar principle. Whatever the thing is you're afraid of, assume that thing actually happens. Okay. Cause most of us, we treat fear as a rhetorical question. What if I fail? What if I succeed and become corrupted by power and influence, whatever. Well, fear inoculation, you don't treat it as a rhetorical. You actually answer it. What if you fail? What if you do this thing and people make fun of you? What then? 
So assume your worst fear comes true and then figure out how are you going to respond or recover from that thing, whatever that is, right? Are you going to realize, well, anybody who's going to be super critical and judge me aren't people whose opinions are worth giving a shit about in the first place, right? Either because people who are in my corner aren't going to try to tear me down. Therefore, the people who do try to tear me down aren't in my corner. Fuck them. If you fail, okay, what can you learn from that to iterate into the future? If you succeed and become, you know, corrupted or you lose your ambition, how can you course correct? How can you potentially surround yourself by other successful people who maintain humility and ambition? Something like that. Develop a plan for how you will deal with shit hitting the fan. Because fundamentally, we fear the unknown. So by making the unknown known, or at least knowable, we rob fear of its power over us. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you feel prepared of, okay, if I fail, that will suck, but I know how I will respond. That, that failure is no longer as fear inducing because you feel prepared. Like, okay, well, if shit hits a fan, I know what I'm going to do. Therefore, it is much easier for you to move forward, to push through that limiting belief and actually see real success in whatever that endeavor is. That is my thing. Ricky, what about you? I think these are all good. I only have like a couple little ones that I'll throw in because I feel like between the two of you, y'all got shit to work with, work with it. So for me, I'll throw in a couple, which is the question of who who told you that, right? Playing in this fact and fiction. I like to call it ruthless fact-finding mission. Like go fucking find shit out rather than playing this game of, oh, this is this is truth when we really don't have the information. The second question I like uh, usually run the the fears, Corey, actually, which is what's the worst that could happen, right? What's the worst that could happen? Play it out. And can you survive with that? Can you survive that? What does that actually look like? Let's get real about it. And the last one, which I like, which is what is the cost of inaction? So oftentimes people are like, oh, I'm not decisive or like I can't handle change or I can't move things. And, I'm, and that lack of that indecision and that lack of action is decision. That is choice that's happening to you rather than you choosing. And so by also spending time with when we're in this position that like, oh, I don't want to do this growth or I don't want to try this thing or I want to avoid this potential or I want to avoid this risk or discomfort or uncertainty. So what what is what is the cost of inaction? What's the cost of not doing it? And oftentimes that can be incredibly motivating to say, yeah, all right, so this is this is something that I can try. But those are the those are the three additional questions that I throw in on top of a whole slew of very helpful tools. Yeah, I think the fundamental belief work is what am I getting from holding on to this belief, both positive and negative? And what is holding on to this belief barring me from? both mm -hmm. positive and negative and yeah. really letting yourself simmer in that and let conscious awareness come into that. That's often where in my experience, the space comes from really facing what is it getting me? What is it creating inside of me? What is it creating out in the world? And what is it barring me from inside of me? And Very good. Parting words for the audience, Justin. Wow, I wasn't I was totally not ready to just have the ball directly tossed to me. <laughs> uh, parting parting words. words to the audience. 
Well, the thought that I'm actually having, and we should do another episode on this, is there's another topic I wanted to hit we didn't get to called upper limit problems. That's a version of limiting beliefs. So that's a thought. But parting words, challenge your beliefs and be gentle with yourself in that process. Ricky. This shit is hard. Me. Limiting beliefs are bullshit. Oh, no. You, <laughs> you, but here's why you created the beliefs, which means you can destroy the beliefs and recreate them with much more intention. Yeah. Let me believe some bullshit. Oh my God. And with, and with that, I just loved the adorable little self toss me. And it's my turn now. What? <laughs> All right, everybody. <laughs>